Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we are speaking with Dr. Michael Hines again. His first interview aired on October 17th, 2016, episode 22. So make sure to have a listen. Michael Hines began elementary school as a student loving school and playing music on multiple instruments, solving puzzles, immersing himself in art, and wondering what the future would hold. Once he graduated high school, he was in the bottom 5% of his graduating class. Years later, he finds himself stewarding one of the largest school districts on Long Island, New York, as the superintendent of schools. Mike has served in almost every position in a school system, from elementary teacher, assistant principal, principal, business official, assistant superintendent, and now superintendent. The road to success has very little to do with what he learned in school and very much about what he knows to be true outside of it. People say you're going to have to change to fit into the system. He says, how about you change the system so we can all fit? Tune in and learn how he walks the talk. I'm so excited. Welcome, Dr. Michael Hines, for the second time. <laughs> Thank you, Lily. It's a, always a distinct pleasure to speak with you. So I don't have a list of questions, so I figured we kind of go with it. Right? I like it, yeah. I mean, I, those are usually the best conversations, the ones that are just organic. All right. right. Maybe. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> I, yeah. Time, will, time will tell. Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. I know. All right. So last we spoke was in October 2016, almost a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot that's been going on. There now, has. was that the first podcast that you've done? That was, I think, my either first or second. I, I, I can't recall. But since. Since then. Since I've spoken to you yes. or with you, I think I've done like 30 so, Which is really remarkable. So that's awesome. So it, I would say it's all because of you. I'd like to take credit you, that as we you launched should. your career. You as did. That. You did. I have to say, I was I was a little nervous when I first spoke with you because it, you know it's a different type of process, but I enjoy it. It's it's like having a conversation with someone. Well, you did a great job and taught us a lot and shared a lot. So that was wonderful. So Thank there's you. a lot that's been going on. Yes. I follow you in your career, and I'm pretty impressed with your leadership and how you engage, how you value people and how you move forward. And one of the things that came up was your trip to Finland. Yes. You've shared a lot of what's happening or what's happened and what you've learned and the initiatives that you want to put forward. So I guess the question is, how's that going? Well, I will say my high has dissipated (laughs) because I did come back in a very for lack of a better word, uh, very optimistic mood. And when I was there, I, I, I shared this, and I mean this in, in, in the most sensitive way, I felt like I was bipolar. I was extremely happy and extremely depressed at the same time because mm-hmm. in my estimation, I saw firsthand what could be and should be, and then thinking about 
the way that we go about our business in the states I think we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So coming back uh, initially and sharing those experiences with our staff um, and with our school community, I would say it's mixed as far as some of the, I believe, universal best practices. Because the question becomes, and it usually is, right? Well, that's a very small country. It's, for the most part, you know, all white, middle class. And how do you apply that either in a state or in the United States? You know, how do you scale that up, so to speak? So I had to contend with some of those concerns. I believe um, there's a lot to learn. We don't have to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everything they do in Finland is fantastic. It's not. I mean, you can talk to Pazi Salberg, you know, who wrote Finnish Schools 2.0, right? And a lot of his work certainly is based on teacher preparation programs and the way they go about their business there. They have a lot to learn. And while I was there, some of the teachers were like, why do people keep coming here? Like, they couldn't understand why. But when you compare and contrast not only the outcomes, mm-hmm. but just the way they go about their business, there's something to be said for asking, why don't we learn from other places outside of our own? I feel like we, and I'm generalizing when mm-hmm. I say this, as professionals, don't look outside our very small circle, right? So as a school district, maybe we'll look to the left, to the right, to the north, to the south of where we are. But we won't look at maybe a Montessori school, or we won't look at a Waldorf school, or we won't really look at what's happening in Canadian schools, or we're reluctant to see what's happening, let's say, either in Finland or maybe in Singapore. And we should. And again, not to say that we should drink all of the Kool-Aid as far as what they're doing, but why can't we tease out some of those things and look to pilot and test drive them and be open to those suggestions? For me right now, as a superintendent here, we're looking to do that. We're looking to apply not all of them, but some of them. William Doyle, who is the gentleman who accompanied me, he's a, not only a Fulbright scholar, he's a New York Times bestselling author. And because he's taught in Finland in the university systems there, he knew a lot of people, which is really important. So I got to go on the inside track and to meet with people a I normally. Backstage pass. It really was a backstage pass in every sense of the word where I got to speak to the Finnish Minister of Education and to talk to him as far as what his focus is. And this is what I walked away with. Their sole purpose, when I say they, the collective they, from an educational system standpoint, is about student wellness. That's it. Mm. It's wellness. So student and teacher wellness? It's not only teacher wellness, but they're so concerned as far as, you know, the ministry which in New York State, it would be the State Education Department in New York. Their number one concern was trust, was trust with the teachers, with the superintendents, with the parents. That was their number one thing they wanted to focus on, and I almost fell out of my seat. But I didn't because there was a backing to it. (laughs) And I'm thinking, okay, well, could you imagine if either the United States Department of Education and or the New York State Education Department said, listen, here are our two focal points for the next several years. Building trust, I can't even say rebuilding, let's say building trust with stakeholders and well-being, it would be a totally different ballgame, I believe, as far as the way that we collectively go about our business. As I hear you talk about trust, you've listened to my trust manifesto, Mm -hmm. right? That's, to me, the foundation of everything, especially in leadership. So to hear you say that that's where they focus on, 
it really behooves us to listen, right? I, I agree. I, I don't know why we wouldn't listen. But you know what the problem with trust is? Can you measure that? Can you put a metric on that? Can you evaluate people on trust? Can you make money off of trust? Probably not. Maybe you can. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Maybe there's an entrepreneur where you know you can make money. Here are the wrong drivers, I believe. It's not only standards and standardizing everyone, but then assessing them, testing companies, making money off of that, then attaching that to a teacher, and then rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. So it's a different cycle. And I just want an educational leader in a very high position to say, listen, I know the other 49 states do this. Why don't we just go a different route? Let's try to shift it five degrees and see what happens. Because to be honest with you, I don't think it could be much worse than what we have right now. But that's just my humble opinion. It's interesting. You're saying let's shift it five degrees. Mm -hmm. And you've been shifting things here. We're trying to. So what are some things that you've implemented or initiatives that you put in place before and since coming back? Well, I would say a lot of our focus over my first four years have been mainly at the elementary level. And so the reason for that is, foundationally speaking, we look at the base of the pyramid, right? And a lot of it has to do, you know, in Finland, it's well-being. For us, what we've been saying for several years is basic needs need to be met, right? Mm -hmm. So... Anybody who knows Abraham Maslow and what those basic needs are, food, shelter, security, love, all those important things, sleep. We have, I think, done a lot of things collectively where we brought in the Family Service League. Now we have a family service center that works with our families who are our most vulnerable for mental health services, Mm -hmm. for counseling services, for dental, for any service, helping paying for electric bills, clothes, all these different things, basic needs. We now have a center inside our school district that works with that. That is a great start. The second is starting the day at the elementary level in a communal way where they have breakfast together. And I think I've mentioned this Mm -hmm. before where first couple minutes of the day, everyone's having breakfast and it's free. It doesn't cost anything to anybody. And I know people are saying nothing is free. Well, it is free. It's free because we worked out something, and if anybody has questions, I can certainly answer that, how we've gone about it. It's called breakfast in the classroom. And basically, every single day, we have breakfast that's wheeled in to all of our classrooms, K through five, in seven different buildings. And the stigma of if a student is on free and reduced lunch and they're eating in the cafeteria 10 minutes before everybody else, and there's a spotlight on them, and they would have breakfast, Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen anymore. Everyone eats together. And I'm going to tell you, at first, the teachers are like, not sure how this is going to go. And then, of course, you hear it's taking away from instructional time, right, all these different things. If I try to remove it now, I'd be fired. (laughs) And and that's how I know it's working, right, because kids are fed. The teachers definitely notice, and the parents are very appreciative. Now, the question becomes, can we upgrade the breakfast (laughs) as far as what's being served? And, of course, we can to make it a little more healthier. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is what are the things that we can control when kids are with us for six hours? That's certainly one of them. The other thing is, and I know we mentioned this before, is that we have yoga from K through 8. Now, last time we spoke, we had several different consultants coming in, yoga instructors coming in, outside agencies coming in. Now we actually took a teacher that we have who's certified in yoga, and we have a teacher on assignment, and her sole purpose 
is to just do yoga all day long with kids. And she goes from building to building to building. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so proud of that work. It's really, really meaningful, and they've seen a difference. When I say they've seen a difference, I would say definitely the educators, the students, and the parents. So a difference how? Well, kids are not as anxious, which, of course, and I've mentioned this before, and this is really based off of Dr. Peter Gray's work. I've said this millions of times. We are serving students who are more anxious, depressed, and suicidal than any generation before. So the question becomes, what are we doing that's different within the classroom or within the school system? And unfortunately, we're not. when I say we, the collective we aren't doing enough. This is one spoke in that wheel when we talk about yoga. Students are learning how to breathe. I mean, of course they breathe <laughs> or they wouldn't be living, but breathe in a different way that's purposeful that reduces their anxiety. We also have rooms, as I know you know, these mindfulness rooms, these tranquility rooms that are not only in our elementary schools, but now in our middle schools and our high school, which is new now, for students to... So you have a mindfulness mm-hmm. class in the high school? We do. We actually, we have yoga classes that are an elective at the high school, and then we have a separate room for students to do some mindfulness activities at the high school as well. How's that going in it's, high school? It's going. You know, we don't have any preliminary data right now, um, but I will say in its infant stages right now, we feel it's definitely working because the students aren't complaining about going there. Like, they're not saying, I'm not going there, <laughs> and then they choose not to go, right? So I think they're open to the fact. And the other thing we're doing, if students are suspended in school, they have an in-school suspension, let's mm-hmm. say, we actually have a full-time social worker who works with our students in in in-school suspension to work through some of the root causes Mm -hmm. as to why they're there, right? Not just reacting Mm -hmm. to whatever they're Mm -hmm. doing. So we're trying to be as proactive as as we can. I mean, you already know about recess and doubling recess. There will be some tweaks with that, though, I will say, because what they do in Finland that's a little different is that they teach for 45 minutes, and then students take a 15-minute break. And then they teach for 45 minutes again, and then they go outside for 15 minutes. So they do this four times a day in Finland. We need that. We do need that. Right? Even, even the as adults educa- need it. <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> right? So just to reset our minds, That's we need right. to walk away from something. That's right. Because sometimes we can hyper-focus because we want to finish a project, right? And that's not healthy. No, it's really amazing. I actually spoke with the gentleman who was behind that movement as to why. Right. So initially, it's so funny how this happens. You know, the Finns, when they moved to that model, it wasn't because they were steeped in research of kids need a break. It was more for hygiene reasons. It was more for reasons other than they should take a mental break. But then they saw the byproduct of it. And now there's no going back. So it's really interesting the way the whole thing, you know, just took off and the way it started. But the reality is they do that four times a day. And I got to see that up close in several different schools at different levels, not just elementary, but middle and high school. And so one of the things I noticed that we're looking to do next year is that they had spaces dedicated for students to just be, to just like hang out. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when, when a student comes to school, it's like they're shot out of a cannon. And it's like, get to class. And then the bell rings, they drool, (laughs) and they have two minutes, right, to get to class. And then (laughs) it's up the stairs, and their heart rates, you know, and they're all over the place. And then when school is over, we're kicking them out. We're like, get out. 
it's time to go home or time to go to a club. And you lock the door. And we lock the door, right? (laughs) It's not like that in Finland. When you go to a school in Finland, it's almost like you're walking into someone's home, right? It's very welcoming and it's very child-centric for comfort. So you'll see lamps. You'll see lots of different seating arrangements. You will see little cafes. You will see pool tables in the middle of a hallway. You will see ping pong tables. You will see, I'm like, where, where am I? I walk in and there's 40 chairs where kids could plug in their iPhones or whatever and just chill out and just be. And I'm like, this is really interesting because the environment is just as important as the curriculum when you go there. It's inviting. It's extremely it's inviting. Saying, come, you're safe here. Come and stay. And stay. Right? Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like many of our schools, I'm not saying here in Patchogue, Medford, but it's almost like a hybrid between a prison and a hospital. <laughs> you know, the way they look, the way they're constructed. And so I believe if we're going to make minor shifts, we need to really focus on the environment. So that's one thing we're looking to do next year, to bring in some ping pong tables at the secondary level, some pool tables, some different seating arrangements, tabletops, you know, balls for students mm-hmm. to sit on, different types of arrangements, and to build in breaks throughout the day, which I don't think everyone's like, yay, let's do this, you know, because it's a shift. So when I presented this to the faculty, when I presented this to the community, I think people were intrigued. I think they think, for the most part, these are really good ideas. But then I also think some people are saying it's never going to happen. It's just too radically different or there are too many constraints. And when are students actually going to be taught, right? Mm -hmm. It's how are they going to learn anything if all you're focused on is the environment, is breaks, is, you know, all these other conditions as opposed to the curriculum. Well, my answer to that is we've only been hyper-focused on curriculum. I would say collectively our results aren't stellar, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we take a different approach? And that's all I'm asking them to do is, you know, let's dip our toe in the water, let's see what it's like together, and let's test drive certain things. And then we can determine over time whether some of these things are working or not. So right now, you know, I look at our school district as a laboratory, as a laboratory between that We're looking at forest schools right now, which is a whole different arena, which is a whole different set of curriculum that's still combined with the current curriculum we have, but it's in outdoor spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's a different way of learning, different modalities. And that's what I want us to do. I want to continually stretch our rubber band, but not snap it. Be careful about that. Right. And so I know that you have a board that's very open to changes. They're very smart. Our listeners, our educators, ed leaders, what advice can you give them? Because they may be thinking, I want to go that route too, Mm -hmm. but I'm not the superintendent. That's probably the hardest question to answer uh, because I I have several people, and I've been very fortunate, reach out to me, you know, from different states in different capacities, whether it's a school board member or someone who's running to go on the school board, aspiring superintendents, sitting superintendents, principals, teachers asking the same question, but about certain things, whether it's about doubling recess or whether it's about X, doesn't matter what it is. And the reality is, I always tell them, you arming yourself with research and with exemplars of where it's working and then sharing it is a great first step because 
you have to do a lot of educating. Like you have to make the ground very fertile. You know, you look at the um, Notre Dame, you know, mascot, right? The leprechaun, his, the, the fists are up, right? Like this, mm-hmm. you know, you want them to lower them just a little bit because it's new and different information. And so the first step is doing that. The second step for me is you can't really control much, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're a teacher, you control your classroom. Those are conditions you can control. If you're a principal, there you can control your building. So I know if you want to test drive certain things, why not go to maybe the three or four teachers where you know for a fact they're risk takers, they're willing to do anything new and different, and you let them try something and run with it and see where it goes. I think the biggest hurdle is where do we start? And it usually starts from within and giving yourself permission to either do it in your own domain first, and then if you're looking to expand it, to arm yourself with the research and the exemplars to share with others as to why these are best practices and why they work. Because ultimately, all of these things, whether it's changing or augmenting the environment, whether it's the conditions of optimizing best practices, the reality is it's never going to work if you don't understand the work. Like you have to understand why this is so powerful and all of it leads to student achievement. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately it does because, listen, if a kid's fed, if let's say from a mental health standpoint, they're supported at school, let's say environmentally, the conditions are conducive for them to learn, right? And then the teacher is trying things that are new and different, and those connections are there with that teacher or whatever it is they're learning. And they're taking breaks throughout the day, mm-hmm. right? So they're recharging themselves. It's all going to lead to academic performance that's augmented over time, which is what everybody wants to see. Now, that shouldn't be the reason why we do it, in my estimation, because the Finns believe the reason why you should do these things is because it leads to overall wellness and it leads to overall balance. That's their driver. Mm-hmm. Our driver in the States is how high can you score in a state test or the SAT or the ACT. And I think the, the biggest, I would say, difference is there needs to be a balance. And how do you create that balance? By looking at systems that do things a little bit differently. That's, and that's being the open best way. to the possibility that you could be wrong, right? Yeah. And <laughs> or, listen, or, yeah. I am wrong every single day. And I'm not just saying you. No, I'm saying, it's true. You know, we have to ask ourselves, could I be wrong in, in how mm. I'm thinking? No doubt. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. One of the most impressive things when I first met you, I mean, there were many impressive things, but one thing that I was pretty impressed about is how you care for yourself and you do it because then you would be in the best physical health i mean you you even watch what you eat yes <laughs> and no. you exercise and do all those wonderful things even with everything you have because you see how important it is That's to right. lead yourself well yes 
before you can meet up as well, right? It, it's interesting, yeah. I, and I don't think enough people do that because clearly it's a very busy day. It's a very busy week. It's a very busy year. And it's hard to go through that if you are not firing on all cylinders, whether it's mentally or whether it's physically. I think it's a disservice to the students and the staff that you're serving if you are not taking care of yourself. And I think I use this analogy like with an airplane, right? Mm -hmm. When the airplane goes down, and let's say you have your children with you, the first thing they tell you is put the oxygen mask on yourself so you can take care of others. And in this very stressful, very difficult, but the most amazing line of work, you have to take care of yourself. And so, yeah, I probably take it to the extreme. I'm a little weird that way, (laughs) Uh, but I embrace that weirdness. You know, I have that morning routine. You know, I eat very clean. I don't drink. I don't smoke. And I am still fun. I'd like to think I'm still fun in some ways. You are. You You are. So it can be done. You have a bobblehead. I have a bobblehead. That's right. And and, and it's actually pretty scary. (laughs) But the reality is, I think if you're looking to serve others, it starts first with serving yourself and not just physically but taking that journey inward as well which some people are reluctant to do unfortunately right because sometimes we think it's selfish oh Um, yeah but it's not well we don't need it right right (laughs) so uh, my passion is leadership your passion is leadership how important is that to teach leadership skills in schools well, hopefully it's being modeled for them in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. So hopefully they're seeing it firsthand, whether it's with their teacher, whether it's with the principal or the director or whomever they're working with in some capacity. But I think if you strip it all away and if our students learn these two things, if they learn how to listen, mm. that discipline of listening to someone and truly you know, not downloading as you're listening, but truly being present in the moment for however long of a period of time, if they learn that, I really think it's more than half the battle. And the second thing is, if they are empathetic, if they have the ability to put themselves in the position of others, not necessarily always agree with it, but have the ability to understand someone else's perspective, someone else's point of view, and then listen and not try to have a rebuttal as they're listening. If they can do those two things, I really believe they have set the stage to be a really profoundly effective leader if they have the ability to do it. Now, those things, though, you can't go to the store and buy them on a shelf, mm-hmm. you know, and say, I'd like to buy a little bit of empathy and, and uh, <laughs> 10 minutes of listening. <laughs> exactly. These are things that you have to discipline yourself because they're like muscles. I think there are some people who may be predisposed to being more empathetic than others. But if you have no empathy, well, clearly, I don't think you should be in this line of work. But we can always, I think, appreciate someone else's perspective. And in this day and age right now, we don't have a lot of it. And I think we need it more than ever. So from a leadership standpoint, listen, with the podcast that we have you working with, with our middle school kids, that has been a game changer for them. And I'm going to tell you, my Board of Education absolutely adores it and loves it. They think it's really fantastic. So they learn not only the technical skills if they're creating their own leadership podcast, but when they interview someone, they have to practice the skills of listening, right? right? And they have to understand someone else's perspective. So I think if students create those leadership podcasts, it already allows them to do those two things. Mike, thank you for adding value to me and to our listeners. 
thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and it's always great to see you again. Did you want to say anything else? We're good? Perfect. Okay. <laughs> see, that was organic. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.